three decades ago, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers captured my imagination. Like many of my fellow 90s kids, I watched after school, joined the official fan club, and of course, collected the toys. Eventually, I put those toys away, but the flame of my Power Rangers fandom never died. Now, in this milestone 30th anniversary year, I am re-examining the show, its legacy, and the tale of its most legendary ranger across media. It's time to get back to action. Welcome to Summoning the Zords, a Power Rangers fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss 1995's Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie is returning guest, comic book artist, V. Ken Marion. Welcome back. Hey, a Flat Squirrel Productions' own Green Ranger, right? Yeah! <laughs> oh, man. Thanks for having me back, man. My pleasure. I'm so happy to have you here again. Look, I am always excited for all of these episodes. I wouldn't do them if I weren't. But this one is special because... I think if you were a kid in the 90s and you were a fan of Power Rangers, this movie was an indelible part of the entire experience. So it's it's a big special thing to be here talking about it now. Yeah. Dude, it's wild. I mean, it's wild. This going back this week and watching it for the prep for the show, um, it made me think because I want before we even dive into the movie, I want to talk about like, you know, just the the life, you know, our lives leading up to it, right? But like I had like I was convinced that this and Batman Returns came out at different years because like I remember so hard in my mind like the McDonald's campaigns for both these movies. But like apparently they were like a month apart, which is crazy. It just goes to show like when we were kids, like how like a month felt like an eternity, you know? Wait, Batman Returns? No, no, sorry, not Batman Returns. Batman Forever. Batman Forever. Gotcha, sorry, Batman gotcha. Forever. Messed up. The one with Jim Carrey. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I know it was, it was really such an experience. There's, there's a lot to unpack here. So just by way of setup, again, we're talking about this 1995 film directed by Brian Spicer that featured the, the, the core cast from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers television show. Again, I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, I don't need to explain any of this, but just in case, (laughs) what was so fascinating about this, we've been talking about it on the podcast, right? And Power Rangers fans are well aware that for the television show, right? It was this mix of original American footage and footage from the Japanese series. We've talked about this a lot. One of the things that was so distinct about the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie is that it was a wholly original production. So there was no interspersing Japanese footage here. Everything that was created was created for the movie. And so we got new new costumes, new sets. We got CGI Zords. And it existed in sort of its its own pocket of continuity. So... Eventually, actually very shortly after the movie, the Rangers would get ninja powers on the show, but they had a whole arc, which we'll talk about in our next episode, that was devoted to showing how they got ninja powers on the show. So it was not like the TV show followed what the movie had done. It was it was really its own thing, but again, very much so felt like an out, outgrowth of the show. And it was just this, I think, very interesting, unique hybrid, right, between a a continuation and, and, and its own thing. And it just occupies a very singular space I feel within the franchise. And, and, and it was so much fun <laughs> to go back, yeah. to go back and rewatch. I, well, I mean, I will say as a kid, my memories of it where I just thought it was the same thing. Like I, I, I had no concept of like continuity and love different timelines or whatever. And like when the show came back and they had the ninja costumes in my head, it was just from the movie. Like, Cause like you, you didn't really like, you know, if you missed the airing, you missed it. You know, it wasn't like, 
there was like a database or Wikipedia to like look up the story. So I feel like even though you're right, it was kind of like its own little thing. I just found that out listening to your show this year. So it's it's one of those things where growing up as a kid, like I thought it was, you know, just part of the show. So, And I wish that I could remember what I thought about this at the time. I, I just, I just don't. I, I certainly, certainly remember watching the movie and we'll talk about it. And then I definitely watched that Ninja Quest arc at the beginning of season three of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. But I couldn't tell you if I had any sort of conception of, oh, they're getting the ninja powers, but it's through different means, there's ninjor, you know, they're doing their own spin on it versus what I had just seen on the movie. I don't, I don't know. I definitely would not have been able to articulate, oh, it's a separate continuity. Like, <laughs> like that would, that would yeah. not have been part of the equation. So I don't know what I really thought. And obviously the end result is the same, right? They have the ninja powers, they have the ninja swords. Well, you know what I might have thought? Is, were the ninja swords on the show different from the ones in the movie? Like, were they different animals and stuff? I do, see, like, do you remember? So I'll be able to answer this uh, next time in two weeks when we, when we do our Ninja Quest episode. Okay. And I'm sure people listening know, uh, I think they were the same. I'm not 100% sure. I, I think the animals were the same, but I'm really not. I'm not positive. I'll, I'll know next time. <laughs> I I may have in my head just taken the... Like, again, I don't really have any memory of this for sure, but I'm going to assume that as a kid, I just took it as the Power Rangers. This was like an adventure the Power Rangers went on. And then when they went back to the TV show, it was just another, like, it was probably to me like one linear kind of thing. Like, I I, I also didn't really care about the continuity of stories as a kid. It was just like, oh, well, now they've got this power. Cool. Now they got this power. Cool. You know what I mean? Like, it was, I was watching Power Rangers for the very surface level of watching them fight. Like, that was pretty much it. So, yeah. <laughs> No, I totally understand. And and, and yeah. I, I think it, it totally works in that way. And I just, what I keep coming back to, especially now as I'm revisiting all of this stuff for this podcast and it's 30th anniversary year of Power Rangers, it's just so wild to me that this is the version we got. And I'm so happy that we did because again, it's, it's just, it's its own special thing. But, you know, if they had done a movie, a Power Rangers movie, even at that time, that was just completely separate right? Maybe even different characters, at least different actors. If it was just totally separate, I would have understood that. If they had done something like they would later do with Turbo, where, and I, in full disclosure, I have still not seen the Power Rangers Turbo movie. I've watched the trailer and stuff and I've watched clips. Never seen it either. We'll do an episode on that later. So I, I will immerse myself in the Turbo era. But from what I understand, that felt like and looked like kind of like a long episode of the Power Rangers TV show. This, again, in terms of the aesthetic and just the, the the vibe of it, was really its own thing. But again, still utilized our core cast and makeup of Rangers and didn't contradict the continuity of the show, essentially. So yeah. it was this very weird blend. And again, I think if something like this were to happen now, I don't know that you would get something quite like this, but I'm glad that we got it. Again, I, I can't stress this enough, but it's just it's just so, so wild to me. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things about this movie that are super interesting. Um, I, I, I will disagree with you that I do think this movie does feel like an episode of the show. It doesn't look like it because but I feel like it very much just feels like a long episode. Like it's it's there's not much story here. It's like it's just them like fighting and kicking ass and like but like honestly, as a kid, that's like. That's all I wanted. You know, I mean, I was watching it this week and like, not going to lie, it was a little rough watch as an adult trying to get through it. But 
when the fight scene started, I it was reminded like this is totally why I loved this as a kid because like I, I brought this up on, I think in the first episode I did with you, but like this movie is another good example of it where like this show felt like watching it again, it felt like a Jackie Chan or Jet Li or Van Damme movie for kids. Like it like literally was like they were doing the fights themselves, very little special effects. And the fights were really good. They were well choreographed. They, they were visceral. They were super high energy. You compare it to like Batman forever or the shadow or the phantom or the Superman movies or any of the other superhero movies coming out at the time, the fight scenes just blow it away. Like, and it's like not even close, you know? So I understand why power Rangers like just hooked us as a generation so hard. You know, it was, it was, there was a very, uh, it like like it was it was like it was like like our like nine year old selves like version of like Van Damme movies you know it was cool. No, it's true. And, and look, you and I talked about this in the first episode, and this has come up a number of times. But one of the things that, as an adult, I really appreciate way more than I did as a kid. I think as a kid it was more subliminal, but now I'm I'm more dialed into it. But just seeing them in action like that, and one of the things that I was struck it's by, it's really and, them. And that's the thing. One of the things that I was really struck by in watching the movie again was how few masked slash uh, morphed fights there were. There are a couple, but the, you know, the, the, that initial fight against Ooze's monsters, they're unmorphed for a significant portion of it. And then once they Mm -hmm. get their ninja garb, there's, there are the two phases, right? There's the first phase where you see their faces and then they sort of power up and then the hoods come on. And so, you know, there's, there's a little, maybe a little bit more of a cheat there, but for so much of this movie, like really big, big set pieces you're seeing the kids like the, the kids you know i wonder if it's actually them in the suits for the movie i mean i'm sure there were stunt doubles but like they know they clearly know the, the how to fight like do the martial arts so like i wonder how much of it was actually them so like i'm sure jason david frank did most of his you know okay so on that front now when they're in their ninja garb that's one thing but when they're when the rangers are morphed my understanding is except when they're when the helmets are off obviously I think it's almost exclusively the stunt actors at, at that okay, point. Gotcha. So on the Blu-ray, there is a, it's like a 40 minute retrospective. It's a really cool special feature. It's also available. Someone posted it on YouTube as well. And, and I had actually texted you about this as well. So the director, Brian Spicer, his whole thing when he came into this was he wanted to be able to see the actors faces when they're morphed as the Rangers to see mm-hmm. them emote. And so the stunt team, you know, filmed test footage where you actually saw them without the visors and the helmet and all of that. And it just didn't quite work. And in the, in that retrospective, they also talked about how the stunt people were the ones who knew all of those. And of course, for people who are watching on on YouTube, you can see me doing this for those who are listening. You can't like all the, all the arm and leg gestures and everything, like all the poses that they get into the stunt team knew that it wasn't necessarily the, the regular actors. So Based on what they were saying in that retrospective and just kind of our understanding of how this franchise operated, I, and please audience, correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding is that when they were morphed and they had their helmets on, certainly they were you know, providing the, the, the voiceover, but that was not the actual actors in the suits. Gotcha. And apparently gotcha, they gotcha. were very heavy. That was one of the other things that they talked about. They were, I think the number they said in that, in that special, it was like 20 pounds. And then I was reading online, it was even oh, heavier. Wow. So they were, those were very heavy. Those, those movie costumes. They looked good, man. And that was one of the things I was thinking, I was like, these look better than like a lot of the superhero costumes today. Like I, I was actually, cause they're, they're flexible. You know what I mean? Like they could actually, like you're saying they're heavy, but like they're actually flexible. Like they could actually do all the moves and like, like, I don't know, you compare that to like, 
I mean, it's apples and oranges, right? But like, if you think about like the first Christian Bale Batman suit, right? Like, obviously they're different aesthetics and stuff, but like, if you think about like the the practicality of the two costumes, like I feel like the Power Rangers ones, like I don't know, man, for what they were, for like the aesthetic they were going for, I think they looked really good. You know. So I want to circle back to that, and especially your perspective as an artist. I want to I want to I wanna pick that apart a little bit more. But let well, let's take a step back and and kind of go back to what you were saying before. So just what do you, I know we're talking about the specifics of the movie, but just the feeling, the emotion of this, like, what do you remember about this time when you were a kid and you knew oh. there was a Power Rangers movie coming out? Just like, take me Dude. back to that time. Okay. I remember the first moment I heard about it. Okay. So this is crazy. I don't actually think I saw this movie in the theaters because I, oh man, we have a whole nother story because we're going to talk about the McDonald's tie into this. So that's like, so I, I don't think I actually saw this movie until it came on home video. Um, but um, I do remember how I even found out they were making this movie. It was on Thanksgiving. I was at my grandma's house. It was Black Friday. In the newspaper was an ad for the, this movie that came out in the that weekend called The Page Master, which I'm not sure if you remember this movie, but it was like <laughs> Macaulay Culkin was like a kid who gets sucked into a book and he turns into a cartoon. And like, so half the movie's live action, half is cartoon. Do you remember that? So I, I have not thought about this in probably you know 25 years but as you say it yes i remember this movie wow specifically okay. yes i know exactly do, what you're do, talking do, about. do you remember it in reference to the power rangers do you have a connection with power rangers from this okay i don't so okay so i my parents were were sitting at my i had this is this was god i was in first grade i think i was in first grade so i was like seven i think and we're sitting at my grandparents table kitchen table it's black friday morning my dad's reading the paper and he sees an ad in the paper for, okay, I want to say it's Thanksgiving. This Maybe I'm getting the dates messed up, but this for certain was it, was that there was an ad in the paper for come see the page master and you get an exclusive Power Rangers, the movie poster. And I was like, wait, what? Like my dad's like, there's going to be a Power Rangers movie and we can get a poster. And like, and so we, I never went to the movie theater as a kid. I went maybe like twice a year just because like it never, it was like a timing thing and it was expensive and all that. Like, but for some reason, my, my dad and mom, like they both had off because it was like, I think I want to say it was Thanksgiving. And they were like, let's go see it and get you the poster. Right. And I had that poster on my wall, dude, for like forever, like I, like way long, like uh, probably up until like, like seventh or eighth grade. Like it, just, like, it wasn't like, like I wanted it on there, but it was just like, I just never took it off. I kind of think it was on the back. It was on the back of my door. And it was like, a, it was like a cartoon drawing of like their heads stacked from the profile. Do you, do you remember this poster? Very it was much. like them sideways and their heads were stacked. And I was like, whoa. And my mind was like blown. I was like, there's going to be a Power Rangers movie. Holy crap. Like I was so excited about it. And then after that, it was a scholastic book fair. I think in the spring had like the novelization of the movie. And so I read that and I read I most movies. Actually, I read the novelizations of because I didn't really go to the theater that much. So I read the novelization of that and the pictures in the book was like my kind of like link to the movie for like the longest time until I saw it on home video. What about you? What's your story? <laughs> oh, that's so, that's so cool. I, I wish I had a better story. What's crazy is that I have at best a vague memory of seeing it in the theater. You would think that this would be seared into my brain, but it's just not for whatever reason. And I was talking about this to my mom recently and I was like, do you remember taking me to the theater? And she was like, no, but I'm sure we did. Uh, so my memory of seeing it in the theater, again, is is minimal. <laughs> what I actually do remember is that my my dad brought home a bootleg copy of it. 
And I can't think of any other instance where that happened. But I guess, you know, that they, they knew my parents knew how into this I, I was. And this was I can still remember watching that VHS and it was, you know, old school bootleg thing where, you know, it was just a guy in the theater with the video camera. And, you know, you see people, you know, getting up wow. and walking across the screen and all that. But so it's like weirdly, that's what I remember, I think, more than the theater experiences is that. And and here's the thing. Again, I, you know, this is 95. So I'm, I'm, I'm eight. It's like I didn't even know what a bootleg copy was. Right. Like my dad brought her home and he's like, here's a Power Rangers movie on VHS. Yeah. And I'm watching it. And I, I I mean, I must have realized that this was this didn't look the way other movies on on home video looked. But it, there, there wasn't even any sort of calculus of like, oh, this is a bootleg copy and that and, and anything like that. It was just like, oh, I got to watch it at home. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was just, I, I guess, more than anything, even more than that, it's just the the excitement and the toys. And I know we were texting about this earlier today; those McDonald's toys. I, I, I'll toss it to you in a second, but I watched, I watched the thing that you sent me, but then I also watched just one of the vintage McDonald's commercials from the time. Oh, I didn't see it. Okay. And it's, you know, it was so, and I had all of those toys and I remember getting them and it's funny, the commercial. Did you have all of them? Yes. Because I had all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Nice. And I remember, but the commercial was funny because it was, you know, the commercial itself was geared towards the parents and it said, you know, you get a break and your kids, <laughs> your kids get the Power Rangers action. And now as a parent, I can, I can definitely appreciate that part of the commercial. It's like, yeah, that's true. If you find something that your kid will be occupied with for a few minutes, that's gold. <laughs> That's so funny, dude. The mix. So my memory. So skip into like the fact that I didn't see it in theaters. I think it was. So I think one of the reasons I didn't see a lot of theaters, a lot of movies in the summer was because my dad traveled a lot in the summer. He was a traveling salesman. So in the summer, every year, like every year up until I was like a teenager, pretty much, um, we would basically it would double as like family vacations. Like, so like if he had to go to Florida, like make like a, a round to see, to visit his like customers in Florida, like we would basically go with him for like two weeks, you know, on like a road trip and then to Canada for like another two weeks. So it was like our summer vacations were kind of like with my dad, like going on road trips. So that's, and we never went to movies during that, you know? So like, I feel like it came out during one of those times, but that's when the McDonald's like campaign was going. And I remember so distinctly, like every meal on those road trips being like, let's go to McDonald's, let's go to McDonald's and get the Power Rangers. And like my parents were game. Like they were like, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm sure my dad wishes like health wise he didn't do it now, but you know, but like, it's like, um, but yeah, I got all six of the Power Rangers and like those figures were so cool because to my knowledge, at least they were the only ones made that actually looked like the, the Power Rangers in the movie. Like the ones you bought in the stores were like basically just the regular Power Rangers figures, but shiny. Do you remember that? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, because at first I thought like, you were like, going to say like they didn't do any movie toys. And I was like, no, no, they like I remember seeing those, but I think you're right. I think they were just, and again, audience, you know, correct me if I'm yeah. wrong. We'll do an episode down the line where we talk. I could about be the totally toys wrong about this, but yeah. more specifically, but I don't think you're off here. I think they they were just shinier versions. Uh, again, that I, was I could that be was my memory. This. Yeah, my memory was that like the, the the real quote unquote toys were like they basically took the normal toys and gave them like metallic like colors. So like the red range was metallic red instead of flat red. Right. But like the ones for the McDonald's toys were actually like sculpted to look like the movie costumes, like with the ribbing on the elbows and the the feet and stuff. So I just thought that was so cool as a kid. And they were like the only time like a McDonald's toy from my memory was actually like a good toy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it wasn't like just like a crappy, like wind up thing or something, you know? I mean, the, when it comes to McDonald's toys, 
I mean, as a kid, I, I, I would get them all the time, but the, the two lines that really, that I actually remember are the Power Rangers and the Batman Returns. Those are the ones that yeah. I have vivid memories of. Do you remember what the hook toys? Because those are pretty cool too. I, I had those. Maybe if I saw them, I can't picture them though. Yeah. They were yeah. cool. Okay, the side side tangent, side tangent. No, <laughs> I haven't those, thought about this in like years. <laughs> I know they were I mean, do you still have them? They're in my parents' attic somewhere. But yeah, they, I mean, they should be. If they're not like a melting ball of plastic from the summer heat in the attic, you know, they should be in there somewhere. But you have that's the thing. I and I've talked about this before, but I you know, there, there came a point where I just felt like, okay, I need to divest myself of all this stuff. What, what, what do I need to hang on to these action figures for? And so whether it was Power Rangers or just my, you know, you know, DC or Marvel figures, I parted with everything really through yard sales and bringing them to my local comic shop. That was it. Oh, and wow. I, and yeah. at the time it, it made sense. I never thought that I would be doing these podcasts where I would, <laughs> where I would like want to be able to look at them and, and talk about them and everything. But I, you know, I wish, and it's one of these things that's like, you know, all these action figures, I'm sure, you know, you put them in a couple of boxes. It's like, it wouldn't have taken up that much space. I I do wish I had kept them. Those in particular, I, that's the thing Or at a, I know I've said this before too, at a minimum, I wish I just took photos of this stuff before I sold it. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, we didn't have cell phones with cameras at the time. So it would have been a more involved process, but it's like, I'm kicking myself. It's like, at a minimum, it's like, even if you're going to sell it, that's fine. Just take some photos. So you could see exactly what you had and at least have, have that yeah, you know, yeah. something to conjure your memories. But yeah, I, I mean, I always tell my parents, like, I'm like, I want to one day, one summer just for like a, you know, like, like a week, go through the attic and dig out all my old crap and like see what I've got and put stuff on eBay. And I'm like, but then like, I know what's going to happen. I'm not going to want to sell anything. And then it's just going to make a mess. And then I'm going to have to put it back in the attic, you know? Like, But honestly, so. you know, not to tell you what to do, but it's like, even if you just, even if you just took some photos, like just take them out of the boxes, line them up, take photos, even, then throw them right back. But at least then you have the <laughs> photos, you can look at them and, and you know, you'll kind of take stock of what you have. But I, I remember all of that. I definitely had those McDonald's toys. I definitely had whatever figures they put out from the movie, those shiny metallic ones. I know I had those. I remember the ooze. I had, did you have, I didn't have any of these? I did not have any of these. No. So that's of course the other big piece of this movie that we get an original villain, Ivan ooze. And they put out that slime like substance, (laughs) the purple ooze. And I definitely remember that. I remember the smell and I particularly remember it because my son has a toy now that smells just like it. It's not a particularly pleasant odor. Is it Gak? It's kind of like that, essentially. It's yeah. kind of like that. But I just, but I was smelling that recently. I was like, oh, like that's, that, yeah, that's what that was. Because I definitely had the ooze as well. Dude, how weird was the 90s? There was Gak, there was Floam. <laughs> there was, there was all this like Nickelodeon like toys that were like different versions of putty, essentially, that like you just like throw on the wall. Like that must have drove our parents crazy. Like, yeah, no, I know. <laughs> do, do you remember Floam? Do you remember Floam? It was like moldable foam. It was like like wet foam that you like could mash around. We would like put it into discs and throw it up into the ceiling fan and have it like cut it in half. It was like it drove my that drove my parents crazy. Yeah, no, that I don't remember specifically, but certainly the gack. Like I definitely remember that. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at Patreon.com/slash Anthony Desiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers, and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC Movie Rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. 
If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show, too. Thank you. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast, Sam Lim. Sam just moved to the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They are also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZLComics. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, this, you know, this takes me right back. I, I have to say, in rewatching this movie, and I know you said before, it was a little rough rewatching it. So on my other podcast, one of my other podcasts, My Comic Shop History, I, I did an episode on this movie a few years ago now. And I think when I watched it that time, I probably had a similar experience as you did where, you know, I was seeing more of the, the maybe like the faults or the limitations or whatever. This time, for whatever reason, I think maybe because I've been spending so much time rewatching the regular episodes, but man, I was all in on this movie. I was like, this was, it was, and, and again, it took me back to that time, but I was just like, this was so fun. And it was, it just left you with such a great feeling. It's like they get these, they get these ninja outfits, they get new powers, they get new zords. You know, they kick Ivanus in the balls. They send him into that comet. They perform a resurrection. They're, you know, they're chowing down at, at Ernie's. Fireworks are going. Van Halen is playing. It's Van like, Halen's playing great. At the end. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it leaves, you know, it does, this movie does have, even now, like, at my older age, it definitely has moments that, like, it is specifically designed to pump you up. You know what I mean? Like, the ending with the with Dream, Van Halen's Dreams plays at the end. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And, like, the beginning with the skydiving, like, that is literally meant, that whole sequence is, makes no sense in the plot of the movie. It's just there to get your adrenaline, like, pumping and be like, this movie's going to rock. You know what I mean? Like, that's, like, literally what it's there for, you know? So, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, it definitely had some of those moments for sure watching it. And, you know, going back to what you were saying before, I, I get what you're saying where, you know, you said it, it felt like a longer episode of the show. I don't... I, I mean, I, I I don't entirely disagree. Do you know what I think made the biggest difference for me though? And this is I've from the time I was a kid to now, the the Zordon of it all. The fact that we see Zordon out of his tube and he's dying. You know, this is weird. I, I guess it was weird and it was weird to see him like that, but I think it was just the stakes. The stakes just felt so much higher than they did mm. in the show. And even as you're watching the movie, it's like, of course you know it'll be okay, but it just it was a you know, they took it up a notch from the show. And I think maybe when I say it didn't feel like the show, I think that, I think a lot of it hinges on that where it's just like okay, Zordon's out of his tube. That. Like he's dying. Like this is, 
the show would not do this. So I think that yeah. was kind of, that was a big part of why it just felt so, so different. Yeah, no, I, I could see that. I could see that for sure. Um, speaking about differences from the show, something that I noticed in this movie that I never clocked as a kid. And there's, there's a couple things I want to talk about that I didn't notice as a kid, but the big one is I did not realize as a kid, how much the red Ranger was totally sidelined in this movie. Like he might as well, like not even be in the movie. It's, it's very weird. If you look at the trajectory of power Rangers, how the red Ranger is the leader in the beginning of it. Right. And in the Japanese version, he's straight up. It's like basically about him. He's like the main character. Right. And now, and if you watch these shows, like they bring Tommy in, he's like this cool side character. And it's weird. He like basically usurps being the main character, like halfway through and to the point when they make this movie, the red Ranger, like is like, I think he, he's like an athlete, like his Zord is one of the arms, you know, it's, it's not even like the main like thing, you know, of the Zord, like it's very, very weird how they just sideline them. And I did notice like watching this too, is how much I wish it was the original three members. It was like Jason, Zach and Trini instead of the replacement characters. Cause like they're the iconic ones to me, even though I know they, they probably did it less time, but like they're the ones that like just like are like anchored in like my memories of being those characters, you know? That was actually one of the things I wanted to ask you because I was thinking about this too. In our last episode, which just came out as of the time you and I are recording, is on the power transfer and the introduction of Rocky, Adam, and Aisha into the show. And and that's the th- I was thinking about this because the, the, you know I've been thinking about this movie for so long and, and it was a big part of my childhood and rewatching it now. And it's like, if I, you know, Rocky, Adam, and Aisha in the movie, it's just such a part of the film. But yes, at the same time, taking a step back, not unlike yourself, there is a part of me that's like, oh man, it would have been so cool if the original group had had this movie moment. Well, did you notice in the movie that like Billy was way cooler than he was in the show? Like yeah. he wasn't like the bumbling idiot. And like most of what the Power Rangers did centered on Tommy, Kimberly, and Billy. Did you notice that? Like, like the other three, I mean, yeah, they, they did some stuff, but they were really pushed in the back. Like, and I, I noticed that it was very apparent to me watching it now is that the, those three newer ones, they they really like gave them very little to do. And like the most was Tommy, then it was Kimberly and then Billy. And then the other three were just kind of like afterthoughts. It was very strange, you know? So in that, in that retrospective, Karen Ashley talked about how when, when she and Johnny Young Bosch and, and Steve Cardenas were hired, it was, it was very everything came together quickly and it was like, okay, you're going to shoot the show for a few months and then you're going to go off to do the movie. So I think the timeline was so compressed that, you know, it wasn't like, oh, they had been part of the show for such a long time and they've got their own thing going. So if they did lean more on the other characters, I think that probably tracks with the whole timing of it. Interesting. But that, Interesting. that's a fair point. And, and look, with the Red Ranger, this was something that we talked about when we, when we did the power transfer, which was it would have been really like, I, I do wonder what the dynamic would have been like if Austin St. John and the others, but especially Austin St. John, if he hadn't left the show, because when you watch white light, right. And Tommy is introduced as reintroduced as the white Ranger, the line that Zordon says of welcome, you know, this is the new leader of the power Rangers that was added after the fact when they knew that Austin St. John was leaving. So this whole bit about now that now Tommy's the leader, that was just tacked on after the fact when they knew they weren't going to have Austin St. John. Wait, wait. So in, in the show, Zordon says the new leader is the white Ranger. Yeah. In white light part. Okay. Two, when Tommy's in, when Tommy's brought back. And in, in the show, is that after 
Rocky's introduced or is that, is Jason still, is Jason still around? Jason's still there. So, uh, white light to me and not, not to rehash the last episode, but that to me really felt like the last, the last hurrah of the OG era because it's, 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 and this was crazy. I had totally forgotten this until I I was rewatching, but it's, it's like two episodes before we get into that business where you don't see Jason Zachertrini, right? There are always more for, there's always recycled footage. It's such a, sh- it's a, sh- a shockingly fleeting period of time where Tommy is the white ranger and Jason is still there. It's like two episodes. And then there's a few more episodes where officially Jason is still there, but Austin St. John is gone. Okay. So like, that's the thing. And I wonder, I, I wonder what the vibe would have been. Would it have been more like it was when Tommy was the green ranger? where yeah. he's the sixth ranger as opposed to the, the, the team is centered I, around him. Th- this, this might be a hot take, but I like him way better as a green ranger. I think he's so much cooler as like the, 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 the bad, the bad boy dude who like helps him out once in a while. And is like the extra like guy on the side. Like, I think he's like way, way cooler in that role than as the white ranger as Lee. And I also think like, the White Ranger is from a different show, from a different Japanese show that they cut into the Power Rangers. So, like, his aesthetic visually doesn't match with the other ones. Like, and that's something I do want to talk about about the about that weird whole thing about the <laughs> the, the aesthetics and you know changing Zords and everything. Yeah, we go for it. Oh no, yeah, okay. So when he got introduced in the show, the White Ranger, that's when they changed the Zords again too, right? They they, they went from being like. The the regular ones that we all remember, like Transformers, Triceratops, all that, to like being like like the lion and the no, dragon that, and everything. So that had happened at the beginning of season two when they introduced Lord Zed. That's when they got their Zord upgrade to the to the Thunder Zords. And at that time, when all the other Rangers got their Zords, Tommy didn't. He was still with the Dragon Zord, and this was the time where his powers were fading and all of that. Oh, okay. So that happens before the White Ranger shows up. Yes. Okay. So my understanding, because I was looking this up, because because I bought the the Japanese version of the Power Rangers, the 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 original, what, the the show that Mighty Morphin was was cut from, and the White Ranger's not in it. So I was like looking up, like where did he come from? So apparently, internet. I'm sorry if I get this wrong, but I think this is what it is. The White Ranger is from the same show as those Zords, I think. Okay. And, and those Zords, the footage of those Zords, like if you look at what they look like, the other color Rangers look way different. Like they don't look, they're like, and so that's why his visual aesthetic doesn't match them. That's why he doesn't have the diamonds on him and stuff and his belt's different and everything. And so that made me thinking now watching the show when they get their new Zords here was like, they keep changing their Zords, but their costumes are still based off the original Zords. And I never put that together as a kid. It, it hit me in this one when when Rocky jumps into the gorilla thing, and I'm like, "Wait, he still has the Tyrannosaurus on his head." And I'm like, "Wait, but he had the? Did he have a dragon sword?" Too? Like, I'm like, "Huh, that's very strange." Like that that they kept changing the the Zords and like their animal, but they never changed their suit. <laughs> you know, like I thought that was inter- very interesting. No, it's super interesting. I, I you know I think it I think it really points to this commitment that Saban had initially, right, to keep that consistency, right? And eventually they would get to the point where, right, every season we're getting the changing of of actors and characters and costumes and zords and all of that, really following Mm -hmm. the Japanese show. But yeah, for those first three seasons, it's like they bent over backwards, right, to keep as much of the same cast as they could, right, as people were coming and going with keeping the cast 
and keeping yeah. them in those original costumes that people were familiar with. That's why, and, and we'll talk about this when we get to Zio. That's coming up, and I'm very excited to get to the Zio era. But that's why I think, you know, that felt, I don't know, how, you know, your memories of this, but when I, that felt huge to me when they switched like to Zio. Zio. No? As a kid, I thought the, the I thought they looked dumb. They had like shapes on their head instead yeah. of like animals, and I was like, eh, I don't like that. That's kind of when I started like feeling like I'm too old for Power Rangers. At at the ripe old age of eight, I'm like, this is this is kid stuff. I can't watch Power Rangers anymore. Like, you know, not to get ahead of the podcast here, but you know, I've been saying on the show that oh, I I quit whatever I you know like halfway through Zio, but I was looking at the list of episodes and. Jason's return as the Gold Ranger is pretty deep into the show. And I was reading episode descriptions. I think I might have quit like 10 episodes before the end. I mean, I watched almost all of Zio. I, I, I did watch the Gold Ranger stuff. I do remember that. It's deep. I mean, I forget exa- the exact yeah. episode numbers, but it's pretty far in. So if you got to Jason, you, you saw a significant portion of, of Zio. But going okay. back to the Mighty Morphin movie, you're right. I And with uh, with Rocky in particular, you know, you look at, at all of the Rangers, obviously Tommy's at the forefront. He's leading the charge. Kimberly, you know, Kimberly has some, some stuff to do the emotional piece, right? She's, she's the most concerned about Zordon, right? She's the most mm-hmm. emotional. She's the one who says, you've been like a father to us. Uh, so there was, you know, there was a little meat on the bone there. For, she, for her. she pilots, she pilots the Megazord before Tommy hooks onto it. She's like the main pilot of the Megazord, which I noticed Oh, good because call. The, the pink Ranger was the, the centerpiece of it. The, the Megazord looks god awful in this movie. It is so bad. Like, not not. I'm not even talking about the CGI. I'm just talking like the design of it looks horrible. Like, it doesn't look cool at all. Like, it's just like big blocks. Like, well, so, uh, but well, anyway, just to, to button up the the Red Ranger piece. Yeah, I mean, even even Adam, the Black Ranger. You know, he has this whole moment with the frog, which Johnny Young Bosch has talked about this in countless interviews. But that was his suggestion. Right. He suggested yeah. to the director, like, what if, you know, what if, what if Adam's not happy with being the frog when they're all being given yeah. their animal spirits? And, you know, so he has that moment. And just as a side note, one thing that came up in that, in that retrospective, apparently the director was very collaborative and was open to the idea. Like they kind of all spoke about that, that he was, you know, pretty open to their ideas and things like that, which is, which is neat, nice to hear. But, um, you know, so he at least had that moment. Yeah. I mean, I think, Ro- you know, Rocky, and not unlike the show either. Like, yeah, he's just kind of there, which, you know, watching the show for the first season and a half, Red Ranger's front and center. And now, you know, he's yeah. just kind of there. It's, it's, it's very tough. strange. I know. Yeah. I, know. I hear I, you. The thing with, I did clock the frog thing with the Black Ranger with Adam being like, I'm the frog. I'm like, I was kind of want to be like, dude, come on. You got the coolest color. You're the Black Ranger. Like, <laughs> you're the frog. Who cares? You're the frog. You look the coolest in the ninja suit. Like, <laughs> But so as far as the Zord, so you and I were texting about the CGI. So, so now you, when we were texting, you said that you remembered loving it as a kid. So as you look at it now, what did you think? Oh, dude, I remember being psyched about it as a kid being like, oh my God, Tommy's got a Falcon. This is so cool. It's going to be CGI. This is going to be awesome. Like so cool. Yeah. Watching it. I'm like, this looks so bad. I mean, the CGI is like not great. It's very it looks kind of like reboot. If anyone remembers that cartoon show reboot, it looks very, or beast wars. It's very much on that level dropped into like live action footage. So it does, there's no sort of rel like uncanny Valley going on at all. It's like, no, this is like really, really CGI in the middle of this. But aside from that, just the design of the Zord in the, the, the Megazord just does not look cool. It's just very blocky. The head is huge. Like this oversized head. It's a big square. It's like, man, they messed that up. I hear you. I hear you. I, 
in fairness to them, right, you know, it's easy for us to look at it in 2023. We've seen amazing things done with CGI, right? This was mid 90s. Yeah. And, you know, this movie, this had, a, I think it was a $20 million budget, which is not, you know, it sounds like a lot, but right, for a big movie, that's really not that much. So, I mean, for back then, it was pretty, that's pretty big. You think Batman had like 40, I think. So, okay. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's half. Like, it's not, you know, yeah. But I cut them some slack because it was, it was so, you know, the CGI was so primitive. Right. And, uh, and yeah, at the but time I probably you, thought it was cool. Do, don't you wish they just had a guy in a costume? Yes. Don't you wish they did that? Yeah. No, that's the thing. I, uh, the, the one thing that I guess is the other thing that makes me a little bit more forgiving, uh, and I don't mean to keep circling back to this, uh, this featurette on the Blu-ray, but it was, it did illuminate a lot. And, and Spicer, the director was talking about how they tried to utilize all of the kinds of effects that were at their disposal. So a lot of it is practical and there's a ton of wire work, you know, certainly when all the Rangers are doing their flips and all that stuff. But even mm -hmm. when one of the things they highlighted was, uh, remember when the, the Tengu warriors fly down in formation to the construction site when, before mm -hmm. ooze blasts them, that was all done with wire. Like those stuntmen were up uh, suspended by wires oh, wow. with a, via a crane. Like they showed the behind the scenes footage. It's like, you know, I mean, I know that's their job and that's their stuff, but cool. that's like crazy. Like they, <laughs> they were up so high. Yeah. So there was so much that was done practically. Oh, when the Rangers are in the jungle on, on the, the planet of Thedos and they're, you know, they're trying to get the new power source and those, uh, those dinosaur skeletons are attacking them. That looks practical. Giant puppets. Yeah. Yeah. No, I noticed that watching it. I was like, this does not look like CGI. This looks like, I'm like, I wonder how they did this. Cause it looks really good. Like. <laughs> Exactly. So giant puppets. So, yeah. so he was saying like they wanted to, so there's a lot of wire work, there's the puppets and they wanted to try the CGI. And I, and I, in fairness, I guess just like they redesigned the costumes, which again, I want to circle back to and they built new sets. I guess the feeling was, it's like, okay, people are used to seeing the Zords one way. So we're going to use this new technology and show it in a different way. That out of all of the things that to me was the biggest misstep because you look at the, the kind of footage we were getting on the show and it's like, that would have been vastly preferable yeah. to, to what we got here. But you know, I, I mean, it is what it is, but yes, I'm with you. It's like, give me, give me you know, give me a guy in a suit in the Zord suit yeah. and it'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. Make a little model of a city that you can trample through. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they did make, so that city was a miniature. They did talk about that. So that was like, the, really? And then they filmed that and whatever they, you know, I don't know exactly how the process would work for this, but they created this miniature and then they took the footage that they needed to, and then, you know, and I, I guess they had the camera moving through it the way that they knew they wanted the camera to move. And then the the CGI went in. But no, I mean, like for what this movie is, which is like a, a kid's movie for like based off this kid's show, like it's really well done. Like it is a very well done movie for, for being a Power Rangers movie. You know, it's and like there is something about watching it, especially trying to like think back to when I was a kid that like. I like that the Power Rangers, they're not burdened with like, it's not like, well, this is the story of how Tommy like lost his parents and how he's like really, really like on this quest for vengeance against these monsters that like destroyed his soul. And like, you know, it's like, I like that. It's like, nah, they're just, they're just these, they're these good people who just like, they have their friends and they don't, don't care why they're great at karate. Don't care why, you know, they've got these powers, don't care why. And they, they kick ass, you know, it's like, there's something very simple about that concept that, I think can get lost a lot in these modern superhero movies that they, they, which on one hand, like, like I said, going back, this was a little bit of a rough watch because of it being so simple. Right. But then on the other hand, it's like, 
you know, it's it's it was meant for like us when we were like kids, though, you know, so I, I don't know. So that's an interesting piece of all of this. And uh, and I don't disagree with you. I think they like the way they were able to strike this balance is, is actually pretty incredible in this movie, because, again, I think for and it clearly it worked right for those of us who had been watching the show. You know, we have a mm-hmm. lot of love for this movie, especially f- f- based on our memories of watching it as a kid. So it definitely felt like an extension of the show. Yet, I guess circling back to what I was saying before, the stakes did feel higher. So I think they struck a nice balance of, you know, again, it still felt like the show. It, yeah, mm-hmm. it wasn't like we were dealing with all of these issues that, you know, were, 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 you know, were so beyond uh, what the yeah. show was built for. But it was, it was, you know, you know, raised to another degree. So I think they they struck a good balance. But that was actually one of the things I wanted to ask you. Uh, this quest that they go on, right? So Ivan News. He's unearthed by this construction crew and Zed and Rita, you know, uh, you know, intervene and all that. And and he's he's loose and he's uh, enacting his plan to uh, brainwash and subjugate the parents of Angel Grove and then the world. And he's having them, uh, you know, dig out his his what do they call the ectomorphicons? Is that was that what it is? It's it's a very, very weak plot. It's (laughs) it is. borderline terrible like but, it's, but, it's not a good story <laughs> but he he tears apart the the, the command center which we'll, which we'll circle back to but that forces the rangers to need to find a new power source to once again mm. become the rangers and also to save zordon and so alpha is able to use the remaining energy to teleport them to this to this other world australia um, <laughs> and find this new source and so you know they fight the tango warriors there they encounter dulcia the warrior protector uh, of of Thedos, they have this whole sequence at the temple where they're imbued with the the, the energy of their animal spirits. Then uh, they go off on their own into the jungle, and they have this gauntlet that they have to that they have to pass. First, fighting those dinosaur skeletons, and then those uh, those guardian sentinels of the monolith. And of course, they they mm-hmm. make it through everything, and their their powers are restored better than ever, and they teleport back to Earth. The uh, it's been equated to a wizard of Oz esque, uh, you know, journey that they go on to this other world and all that. Did you, I mean, I guess, as you're, as you're laughing, yeah, I think maybe that have my answer, but did you, did you feel that the, that the, the quest that they go on was, so, was so enough? Look, I know I've been, I've been kind of knocking it here. I, I will say that the plot, the macro plot is actually a pretty good story. Like if you, if you, if like what you just described is like the, the, the skeleton of like what could be a very interesting, cool story. The execution of it was like, how do I put this? Like it felt like the kind of thing me and my friends would have made up when we were on the playground, like making up stories, you know what I mean? Like, and, but, but I think that's why it was successful though. So like why I'm knocking on it for being so simplistic and so like, no, things just happen. We just, we lost our power. What's your power? It doesn't matter. It's our power. We we need to get the new power. Well, what's the new power? It doesn't matter. It's just power. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) And like that, like, again, like as someone who works in like comics and storytelling and like that, it's like the, 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 the macro, the macro plot of them, like needing to like being stripped of their powers and having to go get a better, but like that, that's all like actually a really good story. But like the execution of it is very simple, very like, very like, you know, young, you know what I mean? It's like, but like, that was who the target demographic was. They weren't making this movie for us now, you know, they were making it for us in 1995 when we were like seven, you know? So like, I think its biggest weakness is also its biggest strength in the sense that like, 
its simplicity is what made Power Rangers so popular. You hit the nail on the head. I think that's exactly it. I so you know when you watch it, action wise, I think they they give you a good amount of of set pieces, especially during the quest portion. Right there's the fight with the Tango Warriors, the fight with the dinosaur mm-hmm. skeletons, and the fight with the Sentinels. And yeah, the, and the ninja costumes looked awesome. Like the ninja costumes were so cool. Yeah, but I think it's the sort of thing where this whole quest is largely plot driven. They need to get new powers and then there are physical obstacles along their way. Now, going back to the example you said before, maybe if they're, you know, there, there's, there's nothing really character driven in this. I think the most that we get is Kimberly being worried about Zordon, right? And that's hanging Mm -hmm. over everything. So that, that, that puts some meat on the bone here, but at the same time, there's nothing really character centric that's driving any of this. And I think probably for us as adults watching it, it's like, yeah, there's, you know, that's maybe a little piece of it that's, that's missing. It's just like, like you said, we got to get the power. We'll fight these things. We'll get the power. And it's like, okay. (laughs) And you know, but it's, but for a young audience, it, it works. Well, I mean, even there's that, like, there's that character, that kid and his dad. And it's like, there's no explanation (laughs) of like who this kid is, his, his, like, at the very end of the movie, it's like, oh, Tommy, yeah, you're my sensei. And it's like, wait, what? Like, this kid, what? what? Like, I, I was so like, what? So it, that is so funny because right at the beginning of the movie, the rangers, they're all skydiving. And as part of this benefit to save the observatory, right, Angel Grove is having Which never this, comes into play again. The, well, this observatory thing. The observatory, no. But the fact that they're waiting for the comet that's going to pass, obviously that allows them to defeat Zeus at the end. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. So yeah. at least they give us but, that. But like, so this is, this is like the, the skydive, let's, let's go to the skydiving sequence for a second. As a kid, I thought there was nothing cooler than seeing Tommy like surfing with like a snowboard in the sky, sky surfing, watching it now. I'm like, why, why does he have a snowboard on his, like, this makes no sense. Like he's not riding anything. He's literally just jumping out of a plane but he's got a surfboard on his feet. Like, you know what I mean? Like I was, I was so perplexed watching it now. I'm like, is this something that people do now or did back in the nineties? Like I, 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 I don't get, I, I still don't get it. Like, I feel like if anything, that would make it harder to skydive now. Like, it's like, I, I am not at all uh, well-versed enough to be able to give an answer, but I, I, I did have the same thought, but you know, what's funny too. I think in my memory, I thought that the skydiving thing went on even longer than it does. It's a, it's an extended sequence, but uh, it didn't last quite as long as I thought, but then we go right from that into the rollerblading. It's a very, yes, you know, it's a yes. very kinetic so, opening here. It's like skydiving, yeah. rollerblading. <laughs> yeah, it's basically to tell you that these guys are super cool. Like, you know, <laughs> you know what I like about the rollerblading, though. I, I mean, the, the skydiving was a cool opening, and it was a like that's the thing. It was a cool way to be like, hey, this isn't the show, right? Like, we're we're going to show you yeah. something that you're not going to typically see. What I liked about the rollerblading is that. It was always very limited on the show in terms of what we could see of Angel Grove for a variety mm-hmm. of reasons, right? They had certain sets they were working with and- It was like were, seven different cities. At, exactly. <laughs> and it's like when we were on location, a lot of times it was parks. They use parks a lot. And and then, of course, so much of the action footage came from the, you know, the Japanese show. So you have all of these, you know, the the, the docks and the industrial areas. And it was, yeah. we've talked about this. <laughs> it's it's Tokyo, like, what the yeah. hell kind of city is Angel Grove? <laughs> it's, like it's every kind of city you can imagine. So yeah. here, you know, now we're, they're filming in Australia and as they're rollerblading through, it's like, oh, like you get to see more of where they are, in, mm-hmm. you know, in this context. So I like, I like that. I thought that was cool. 
No, that that was cool. And, and listen, dude, I love like extreme sports, like skateboarding, everything. And like when I was a kid, man, rollerblading, which kind of died off. Like rollerblading is like not like a thing anymore. Like it's not like a sport that like you know you don't like see like in the X Games or at least at least not that I'm aware of. You know, so it's it's strange how something so culturally like big like rollerblading just kind of died off. But it was cool seeing them like doing their like tricks and you know. Uh, just going back to Fred and his dad for a second. So. I agree with you that, you know, they throw in this bit at the end where Fred's like, well, I learned from you from our martial arts classes. And it's like, oh, okay. So, you know, that was a piece of information. But, uh, you know, look, I appreciated the the attempt to give us the, you know, sort of the human point of view in, in all of this. Let me ask you this as a dad, okay? How does it rub you now that, like, the dad is made, like, a total buffoon in this movie? Like, it's like in the beginning when they're skydiving and they're all landing on the target and Tommy comes with this snowboard like landing on the target he's like see dad he's awesome he hit the target and the dad is like it's like well i came close like yeah the parking lot i'm like yeah yeah that's pretty close you know like i mean it's only like 100 feet away i mean he jumped out of a friggin' plane you know like i I know the the two (laughs) things that stood out to me the most about the fret of it all specifically with his dad one is that the actor's uh clear australian accent which was coming through at the the dads yeah oh yeah yeah (laughs) But then my fate, my favorite Fred's dad moment is when he finds the ooze in the apartment <laughs> and, you know, like he smells it. Right. And clearly like he, something's off. And what is this guy's first move? He shoves his finger <laughs> <laughs> all the way into this he thing. Picks it up and starts like, might as well just start like eating it. You know, he's like, he's, and he's just like smearing it all in his hands. And so it's just like, oh my God. And also Ivan Ooze, when he's selling the ooze, is like the creepiest looking dude. Like, who would ever talk to this guy? Let alone be like, yeah, I want all like and these these kids go nuts for this. Like, it's like, what? Like, it's like, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get that. Actually, so that's that's another question. So, yeah, how do you feel about the Ivan Ooze of it all? Because that's another again, another big piece of this movie that we get an original villain, yet we do also get Rita and Zed and Goldar and a new pig creature they created for the movie Mordant, I believe is, is the name, but, but how did you feel about Ivan Ooze? Yeah. Well, I was wondering where the blue guy went, the blue guy from the show, the the guy with like the, he's like a monkey or something. He, I liked him. He was cool. Well, um, Squat and Babu, like they just, they just disappeared. Yeah. Which one's Babu, the blue guy or the, the blue guy. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So they're gone. So I wish the bad guy was Zed. Zed looks so much cooler. Like he, I feel like he's way scarier. Like Ivan Ooze is just kind of like, eh, well, yeah, I don't know. Eh. I, I hear you. I don't, what, what did you, what did you think about him? Like, even as a kid, I don't know that I ever really loved Ivan Ooze so mm. much. You know, he's definitely memorable. And I think, you know, you appreciate some of the one-liners more as an adult, you know, when he's, when he's tearing apart the command center and he's like, all the things I missed, like the Spanish inquisition and all this stuff. And then he throws in the Brady Bunch reunion and it's like, all right, like a couple of things made me chuckle, but, uh, I guess, I guess the way I look at it is they were doing this movie. They weren't beholden to Although Zed was an American original, so this kind of undermines my argument. But, you know, they weren't beholden to having to fit within the Japanese footage that they had. I look at it and I'm like, I would not have been surprised or even held it against them if they just did ooze. You know what I mean? Like, I was watching this and I said, you know, I actually really appreciate that they gave us Rita and Zed. They tied it in like that. So, yeah, ultimately, I don't disagree with you. I love Zed. Zed is visually and just in terms of character 
and his history with the Rangers. It's like, yeah, you probably could yeah. have just built this around Zed. But in a world where, again, I wouldn't have been surprised if they only used Ooze and just discarded the regular villains entirely. The way that they actually incorporated both, I I appreciate it. So it it, I, it worked for me. It, it worked for me well enough. And of course, Goldar was true to form and fell in line following a new villain, just as he always does. Just like Zed showed up and he was <laughs> quick to kick <laughs> Rita out uh, and, and does the same thing here. So... Yeah, I don't know. It, not my favorite villain, but like I said, definitely memorable. And, uh, you know, Paul Freeman, the act, I mean, he, he gave it everything. He was all in on, on this yeah, Ivan Ooze yeah. performance. I mean, I remembered him from when I was a kid. You know, I remember that he was the bad guy in this movie. So made him memorable, you know? I think he also struck, in terms of the performance and the design and the writing and everything, I think they struck a good balance where... I mean, again, as an adult, it probably feels silly, but, you know, watching and putting ourselves back in that mindset, like he felt like enough of a threat without being scary. I, I thought he, I, as a kid, I mean, when he's dressed up like that clown, he look, he's pretty scary. Like he looks like a serial killer. Like I mean, when he's like in human disguise, like very creepy looking. So like that was I remember as a kid, that was one of the, the picture was in that book, that uh, novelization. One of the pictures was that like clown. And I remember being like, oh, this is crazy looking. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I just think Zed's so cool, though. Zed, I will say Zed was the only Power Rangers villain that I had a toy of when I was a kid because he was the only one that I thought was like cool. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't have an Ivan Ooze toy as a kid. <laughs> Fair enough. No, Zed, I mean, Zed is a fantastic villain. So it's not that Zed get, I mean, so let's talk about the designs for, for the villains, especially Zed and the Rangers. Cause again, they're not, they're not like total redesigns, but they are, you know, we, we, they, the movie does give us their own, its own version of, uh, you know, of these looks. So, and that was one of the things they talked about in the retrospective again, uh, as far as the Rangers costumes, where the director felt that, it needed to be more tactical, more armor-like, as opposed to just the spandex of, of the TV show. So, so yeah, how did you feel about the Rangers redesign for this? Dude, I loved them. I thought those costumes looked great. And I wish that they used them in the show. Like, I don't know why they didn't use them in the show after that. Like, did they just, like, trash the costumes? Like, I don't understand why they didn't keep them. Well, because on the show, the they show. were still... So, uh, the movie came out before season three. So when season three of Mighty Morphin starts, it, it kicks off with the, the member mask. Do you remember Masked Rider? I do. I had toys of that show. I loved that show. So it starts with a, like a two or three part storyline that sets up the Masked Rider spinoff. And then it gets into the four part ninja quest where they get their ninja powers Wait, so on the show. What? Was Masked Rider in Power Rangers? Yeah. That's what introduced him. And then he got his own show. Oh, wow. Okay. But as we're moving our way through season three of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, you know, they're still weaving it in with, uh, you know, footage from the Japanese series. And I know a lot of the fight footage now they're, they're creating on their own, right. Of the stunt people in the Power Rangers costumes, but they're still pulling in footage from the Japanese show. So I think it was just this level of consistency they had to maintain. Gotcha. 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 Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. But I agree. I thought so, the look, it was a cool, it was a really cool look. It definitely made sense that that's what, that's the kind of armor yeah. they would have. I thought it was very cool. And they had like cool upgrades. Like, like, um, uh, Kimberly had like a Castlevania whip that she, and, uh, the yellow Ranger had like lights on her head and the red Rangers. The only thing he does in the whole movie is his helmet morphs into like a Cyclops looking visor. And then he's got like 
predator vision where he sees like heat like and that's like the only thing he does in the entire movie is like he's got like heat vision for like a minute I sent you, and I mentioned earlier, I sent you the photo of of that, from that stunt footage that they had filmed without the visors. So yeah, what was your take on that? (laughs) I mean, I, okay. I get why the director wanted to see their faces. Like I get it, but it like fundamentally changes like the aesthetic of the characters. And it's like, and it looks like, it looks like it's missing something. It looks like pre, it looks like they didn't like, it's like what they shot before they put the CGI in or something, you know, like it doesn't look like right. So I'm glad they didn't. uh... So for your listeners, what they essentially did was, they were wearing their helmets, but where the black visor was and then where the mouthpiece was, they took out. So you could see like basically their faces, but, but they still had that like band over their nose and stuff. So, like where like that separates the visor from the mouthpiece. So like it was very, is very weird looking. Yeah. I appreciate that they tried it. Right. And I agree with you. Like, I understand why, but uh, I think they ultimately, they struck a good balance here where we did get so many unmorphed fights in the film. So you get, that's where you got to see them. And then, you know, when they're fully yeah. morphed, yes, you do, you know, you do lose that, but then that allows your stunt team to really cut loose and you get to see them do things that the actors yeah. wouldn't be able to do. So I, I think it's a fair trade-off. Well, you know what, now that you mentioned that in the new Power Rangers movie that came out, didn't they have like scenes where like the, face part like retracted so you did see their face like yeah like the, the 2017 2018 whenever that movie came out mm-hmm. like they, they like when they were in their suits i think there was a like the face part like goes like, like back and like you'd see like their faces while they're in their costume so maybe that's something they got from this movie maybe and, and again with the benefit of technology and you know being able to like that that definitely works i think in this realm where it's either you know, what are their three options? You know, what we saw yeah. from that, that test footage where they, the visors come out and that just looks really goofy versus, yeah. you know, them being fully helmeted versus taking the entire thing off. It's, you know, it's yeah, tough. It's, it is kind of a tough, uh, a tough thing there, but no, I agree. I, I dug, I dug the look uh, a lot. I mean, that was definitely one of those things that you're watching it and it just feels different. Yeah. I mean, I will say I like these costumes more than the 2017 Power Rangers costumes fair for what it's worth like i think these looked way better like like flat out i think these looked much better than the ones from the the modern one so no fair acme comics is a locally owned and operated full service comic book store in greensboro north carolina for people of all ages and walks of life now in its 40th year this multiple time eisner award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back issue selection as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store, Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Oh Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. 
Join All Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow All Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw, yeah. And I know I mentioned it before, but really, again, the command center itself gets a new set, so that looks different. Uh, But when Ooze tears apart the fortress and then the rangers... Oh, by the way, I love how the command center is destroyed, right? Their power source is wrecked, apparently. Yet the rangers are able to remain morphed enough long enough to finish their fight with oozes uh with oozes creatures and as soon as the fight is over then everything fades away but anyway uh but when they go back to the to the command i keep wanting to say fortress that's a superman fan of me uh but when they go back to the command center you know and zordon is just lying there i mean what do you remember about that from from watching that as a kid i remember being shocked that he was like a guy in a tube i thought he was just like a like a floating head like i didn't think he was like actually like a person inside the tube. And then they like, they give this, they say he's out of his time warp with no explanation as to what that is or like why he's in this tube. Like very strange. You know, going back to, I think the first episode of the Power Rangers TV show, I believe what, I think what it's Al, either Alpha or Zordon, but one of them says that Zordon is an interdimensional being trapped in a time warp. Oh, okay, okay watching it and i think we're reasonable to conclude this based on what we see on the show for all those years is like you never get the sense that yes he's a, like you said a guy in a tube there but yeah. at the same time i guess there's nothing to directly contradict that either so it's like you watch yeah. this and it but i you know this is one of those things even long before i started thinking about it for this podcast or like i've always had that image of him lying there in that gray turtleneck just dress, you know, the great turtleneck dress. Yeah, yeah the tur- <laughs> just light. Like as a kid, I mean, that was. Like, I wonder. I actually wonder if he he looks like Darth Vader, kind of. Kind like, of. He's like chalky white and everything. Yeah, it's very weird. <laughs> but you know, I wonder if if the director, if Saban, if the actors, if they knew, and maybe they've talked about this. I don't know, but if they knew, just kind of how shocking that would be to the kids who watch the show. I mean, and not even a tr- in a traumatic way, but like that really. That made an impression. Like, I just remember being like, oh, my God. Like, he's like, yeah. he's like there's a guy in there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what's really funny, dude? And we're eventually going to do an episode on the Japanese Power Rangers because uh, we're talking about it so much. But there is no Zordon in the Japanese show. Like, there's, like, this wizard character who, like, kind of, like, like resurrects them, the characters. But he's he functions more like an Alfred to, like, them than, like... Zordon giving them commands. He's not, he's like, he's kind of like this like old man who kind of like, like, you know, like helps them out and hobbles around, but he's not like their leader. Like the, the, the function of Zordon in the Japanese show is the red range. He's like the guy who like tells them where to go and what to do. So like, it's such a strange thing that they added for the American show. Like just the concept of this giant floating head. Like that's such a strange, like I had always assumed that was something from the Japanese show, but it's not, it's a completely like whole like Savant thing. So I'm like, it's very strange. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, one of the things that I think this came up in IMDB trivia, I can't remember where I read this, but I think the original, the original screenplay, the flow of it was that the Rangers get their new powers on Thedos and then they go back to the command center and then they go into battle with ooze. And the, the final version obviously flipped that. 
And I think it was a smart choice because, it, you know, you it makes sense that the situation is so urgent, right? They have to go right into battle and then they get to the command center and it's too late. But, you know, Tommy learned that with this power, anything is possible. And they stand around and, you know, it's one of these things, it doesn't make any sense, they, they, but... And they play the, the destruction of the of the command center in reverse. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it gets rebuilt, yeah. <laughs> it's like... But it's one of those things, right? It, look, the the show always, and the movie, right? It walks this weird balance between science fiction and mysticism, right? In terms of, you know, and even in the show, it's like, you know, they the, they derive their, like the power comes from ancient dinosaurs, but like, what does that mean? And then yet they're robots. It's always a little hard to reconcile exactly how all of this works. And then there's the morphing grid business and everything. So there's always kind of, it's always a little bit nebulous, but I think that gives them some room to play. And so I think when you get to that final scene, and I think it works much better after the final battle where, you know, it just taps into the core theme of the show of just believing in each other and working together. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's enough to bring Zordon back. I don't know. I I, I can. No, it's it. good. It's good. It, it's good. It's, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. It's good. Um, <laughs> oh man, now I forgot what I was going to say. I, mean, I swear it was profound, but now I, I just I, I can't remember now. Well, let, it'll come to me. It'll come to me. Well, throw it in whenever it comes. But let me, you know, while we're talking about this this power that they get and and the whole idea of the redesigns and everything. Not that this is a redesign, but a new addition is this Ninjetti garb that they that they get on Thedos. That so dope. Yeah, it's cool, right? I I loved it as a kid. I, I wanted them to only wear the ninja suits. Like I remember when they had them in the TV show. And they they would turn into the ninjas and then into the Power Rangers. Like, no, just stay as the ninjas. You look so cool as the ninjas. Yeah, especially with the TV costumes. Like, the ninjas looked way cooler. It was cool. One thing that, and we'll talk about this more next time when we talk about the Ninja Quest arc. But one thing that I I see is that in the TV show when they when they have their ninja costumes on, their eye like their eye, everything is covered. Yet in the show, okay. in the in the movie, uh, even when the hoods come up, you still see a significant portion of their face. So that was one, oh. one change from the movie to the show. Wait, so in the TV show, they don't have the, you don't see their eyes. No. What, what is it? Like, like what? It's I don't like a mask face? and then a hood. I, I don't know. I have to, I'll unpack that more when, oh. I, when I rewatch those, but yeah. So it's a, it is slightly different. And even, even here in the movie, you get a couple phases of it, right? So they're in the yeah. temple with Dulcia and they get the ninja costumes and their and their animal spirits and all of that. And then they have their initial fight against the dinosaur skeletons. And then when they come up to the monolith and their final test, you know, they're they're against the ropes and they need to power up. So they summon the ninjetti power and then their hoods come up and then they have more power. I, however this works. But you know, you even get a couple cool. of phases to it there. Yeah. I mean, as a kid in the nineties, dude, there's nothing cooler than ninjas. Like I loved it so like I loved ninjas like like Mortal Kombat, like Scorpion and Sub-Zero. Like, I just thought they looked so friggin' cool. And like, to see the Power Rangers as ninjas, I was like, this is so cool. Yeah, no, I I, I can't disagree. I guess, like, I, it was always interesting to me adding in this intermediate step, right? Because we were so used to mm-hmm. watching the show and they fight as civilians. And then when the situation is, is you know, too dire, then they morph. But so now mm-hmm. there's, you know... It, and I, and I'll have to rewatch these episodes because I don't remember. I don't know if they sort of maybe we didn't get as many civilian fights. Maybe they went to the ninja stuff quicker. I, I don't remember. But it's like now we have yet another phase here 
so I don't know, but it was, it was, it was, it was cool. I mean, I, I was, I definitely was a ninja for Halloween as a kid. Like it was a thing and it was fun. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah. I wonder if ninjas are still culturally rel- relevant, like younger generation. Like, I don't know. Like, I, so I feel like in the nineties it was huge. Like every show had like a ninja character, you know, like snake eyes and storm shadow and like, like again, mortal Kombat. like every video game had ninja characters. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, my, so my son's three and a half as he gets older and he start, you know, starts, uh, uh, getting more into that. I'll let you know. I, I don't know. Like, I just don't know if that's, if that's as much of a thing. Oh. And so as far as the Dulcia of it all, so I, we were texting about this as well. Yeah. Uh, now I was aware of this. I've been learning more about it, but yeah, Mariska Hargitay was the original Dulcia and even did a bit of filming before she was replaced with, uh, you know, the actress who, who took over the role. But there are a couple of photos of her. And there, I even found on YouTube, I'll have to send it to you, some like very rare, very grainy behind the scenes footage uh, where she's training with David Yost and like they're practicing the like hand to hand combat. Because that was the thing. Mm-hmm. So there was this whole sequence apparently that she had filmed where it was Dulcia training the Rangers. It wasn't just here are your animal spirits. Good luck. Yeah, but there was she, she kind of in the movie was like just thrown on for like no reason. Like she just was there and she turned into an owl. And that was it. Yes. So in the in the I guess very weird. The the earlier intention was that there was more of a sequence of her training them. And, and I think that's what Mariska Hargitay filmed. And then they talked about this on the on the Blu-ray where uh, I guess that footage wasn't working. And so they they talked to the studio about reinserting more of the action pieces that they had planned that had gotten cut and. Uh, in the midst of all of this, they decided to switch actresses. I know there's a lot of back and forth on, on why, that front. Why did they replace her? Did they say why? So Mariska Hargitay on Seth Meyers a couple of years ago, basically she framed it as uh, they had her, they were kind of keeping her in a holding pattern for a while. She was in Australia and Christmas was approaching. And she was like, well, guys, I have to go home for Christmas. And after the Christmas break, she called them up and she was like, hey, I'm ready to come back. And they were like, no, no, you're good. Uh, so, I mean, that's kind of her version of it. The way that it was framed uh-huh. in terms of what Spicer was talking about on that on that featurette, it was more that I think the actress who ended up playing Dulcia was Spicer's original choice, but she had some health issues and the studio wanted Hargitay. And then I guess when they saw that initial footage and, you know, I, I think Spicer said in that interview, like he, it wasn't Hargitay's fault, but that footage just wasn't really working. That first footage that they were filming of Dulcia training them. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe all of these things together between the Christmas break, between the footage not being what they wanted it, between mm-hmm. wanting that original actress anyway and her becoming available now, like all of it just kind of fed into replacing her. But I mean, again, it's, yeah. it's you know, she ends up, you know, being on the longest running television show <laughs> in history. So it's like this weird footnote in her in her filmography that it's like, yeah, <laughs> she was yeah. this warrior guide on the Power Rangers movie and got fired from it. But uh, that's so funny. Yeah. I mean, like, what do you think of the Rangers themselves, the actors? Because, like, I think that, like, they all are really good. Like, DJ David Frank and Amy Jo Johnson and David Yost and who are the other ones? Um, the, the other ones must remember. Yeah, Johnny Young Bosch. I know Johnny Young Bosch because he does a, a ton of anime voices. But the other two I can't remember. Yep, Steve Cardenas, uh, Karen Ashley. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. No, like, so that's the thing, man. I... I I, I mean, I thought that they, I thought they did a great job and I thought that, uh, I was happy that they had this opportunity. Uh, yeah, I saw some footage from the, the red carpet premiere of the movie on YouTube. Again, very old grainy footage, but 
they're there in their costumes without the helmets, but they're there in the Power Rangers costume. And part of me is like, man, you had to make them wear the costume. It's like, can't they just dress up and relax? But anyway, uh, you know, we've heard so much over the years about how, uh, you know, kind of what a, what a demanding schedule it was for them filming the show. And they would do, you know, multiple episodes in a week, you know, just filming the American side of the footage that then would be mixed with the, with the Japanese stuff. Uh, we, you know, we know that the pay wasn't great and, and all of that. So I like that they had this moment, right, to kind of bask in their stardom as the Rangers and to to like be in a full on movie and have a red carpet premiere and all that stuff. So yeah, I'm happy for them on no. that sense, and I thought they did a great job in the film. No, yeah, I'm I'm shocked that they didn't like all of. The, I know Amy Jo Johnson did a lot after. Like I know she was in a couple of Disney movies when I was a kid growing up, and like I know she's on a TV show now where she's a cop. But like I'm surprised the other ones didn't have like. I mean, John Young Bosch, obviously, we said he's a huge voiceover actor. Like, he's the voice of Ichigo from Bleach and Vash from Trigon. Like, every anime you've ever seen, he's the voice. In. But, like, all the other ones, like like Jason David Frank and, like, David Yost, like, they're good actors. Like, I don't know why they didn't, like, have more, you know? It's like, did, were they that type cast from Power Rangers or did they just, like, not want to do it anymore, you know? Yeah, that I mean, I couldn't say. I know Steve Cardenas, he, uh, I think he has a Brazilian jiu-jitsu studio. And so, you know, he, so he's a oh, martial cool, artist cool. and I, it might have just been a case of, you know, he wanted to do other stuff. I don't know. But they talked about how. He was good, too. Yeah, he, was, he was good, too. I, I didn't mean to, like, omit him when, when I was naming the names. Like, and Karen Ashley, they were all really good in this show. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And they talked about how they were so used to filming so much so fast for the TV show that they were so kind of taken aback at how on the movie they would film, you know, a page a day. And it was like, you know, just so much waiting around and they took so much time and they did so many takes. And, and again, I do think that the, you know, the, again, I think the, I don't want to make like all the material was vastly better than the TV show. Like we've been talking about it. I don't think they're worlds apart, but I, they, I think they had a little they're bit not, more to, but they, I think they had a little more to work with and I think they had more time and, and I think, you know, they had a director who had a certain vision for this and I, I think it all came together nicely. And one of the things Spicer talked about, and I'll, I mentioned this, especially you as an artist with your visual eye, he talked about how hard it was composing shots where you have all six of them in the shot and doing it in a way yeah. where it's not just the same setup every time and kind of having them in different and dynamic poses and things like that. Um, I don't, to whatever extent that was registering with you, how did you think that that played on screen? I mean, and from our first episode, we talked about this in the Japanese footage, they did this really well where they would like in the fight scenes, they would have, they would do shots where like two of them are fighting here in the foreground. Then there's like another building in the background, mid ground that's two more fighting. And then in the further background, there's more fight. like they would do that a lot on the Japanese footage. So like, I do understand like, yeah, I mean, just drawing team books for comics is like so difficult all the time to draw all the characters like in the frame all the time. So I can definitely understand why he would have where we're like for like a team thing like that, where you, especially something like power Rangers where like in theory, they are kind of all equal. Like, it's not like, you know, some superhero teams, like, like the Justice League, right? Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman are always going to be in the front. And everyone else is in the back, you know? Whereas like Power Rangers, it's like they are kind of like an equal unit straight up. Like, it's like in theory, with the exception of whoever the leader is, but even that's sort of nebulous. Like, it's not like, you know, it's 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 very much like they're kind of like supposed to be like like straight like equals as Rangers, you know? Yeah. Uh, three things that I'll just mention quickly, I guess kind of all Tommy related. One is that 
I am surprised that the movie didn't delve more into the romance with Kimberly. Because it feels like if there were an opportunity, not, not that I would expect the relationship to be the driving force in the film, yeah. but it's like if there were an opportunity to be able to do more than we typically see on the show, like I feel like it would be here. And you don't you don't get that. I mean, he put his arm around her at the end when they were watching the fireworks, man. I know. Sweetheart true. moment. <laughs> okay, wait, let me ask you this. As someone who's watching the show, is there actually any romance between them on the show at all? Or is that just something that we all concocted in our heads like as kids? It's it's there, but it's very minimal and it's exceeding okay. the chase. There is a kiss. I don't know if there are there are more, but there's at least one kiss and you know, he asks her to a dance and um after he becomes the white ranger, like they have a date in the park, like where they have a picnic again, like it's all very, very, very okay, surface but, level, but, but it's there though. Okay. Yeah. It's there. But I, and again, I'll, I'll, as I watch more of the season three episodes before Kimberly leaves, I'll try to pay more attention to this, but it's like, I don't, I don't think audience, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think you ever really get a sense that they're full on in a relationship. Like it's all very like they're dating, but it's like, again, very, very surface level. So it's not one of the greatest romances of the 20th century as I grew up believing. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it's, I feel like even on the show, it was probably something more in retrospect, right? Cause she sends him after Kimberly leaves the show, Tommy gets that dear John letter from her where she's like, where she breaks up with him. So I, I feel like in I retrospect, okay. they made it like it was a bigger thing than it was. So this is like how bad my memory is of this. I do not remember her leaving the show. And there ever being a second Pink Ranger. Like I remember when um, our friend uh, Chris Wilcox, who does Undiscovered Realm, um, the last convention I of his that I was at, the the second Pink Ranger was there, and I I had like no memory of this person as a kid. Like I was like there, I was like there was a second Pink Ranger, and I was like wait what? And like I googled it, and I was like like this must have been after, but like it could have been because she was in the pterodactyl costume. So I was like this had to be before Zio. Like I I just totally like memory blanked that whole thing, and I was like wow, I did not even realize that was a thing. So we have an episode coming up on the transition between Pink Rangers. So that's coming. But okay. yeah, it's ve- she, it's very deep into the final season of Mighty Morphin. It's shortly before Zio. But yeah, there's this Is whole she arc. Is Zio? Yeah. Okay. okay. She, so Catherine Sutherland, who plays Cat, she comes in towards the end of Mighty Morphin. She's there through all of Zio. And she's there until midway through Turbo when they replaced Tommy, Cat, uh, Adam and uh, Tanya who had replaced uh, Aisha. Um, so she's there, you know, until we have like the full changing of the guard. Wait, so Tommy leaves in turbo. Yeah. That's when he's done. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, but so as far as the the movie, I guess the, the other things with Tommy, this is so minor, but it made me laugh when they're, they're, they're fighting in the jungle and Tommy's like ninjetti corkscrew kick. And he, t- <laughs> he does that spinning kick. I just love that he gave a name to it. And it's like, bro, you've had these powers for like two seconds. But he's, he's yeah, already yeah. got the name. I mean, I I appreciate that. That was a very anime thing. Like, I feel like in anime, they do that a lot where they like, like in Dragon Ball Z, like, she's like, Gallic Gun. And he like does this like, like, so, and, and that just reminded, that kind of like pulled at my, uh, my, my heartstrings. I was like, yeah, call the name out of your attack as you do it. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, it works. No, it works. And then, Again, another small thing, but I loved when they first encountered Dulcia and she's like, you know, this place is littered with the bones of those who tried. And he's like, well, we're different. We're the Power Rangers. And she just lays him out in a second. I thought that was cool. Yeah, I I do. I do. See, this is where like the it being the execution of being very, very service level is when she's like, they're like Zordon. She's like, 
you know Zordon? Ivan Ooze is back? Like, she, like, knows all these people, and, like, Ivan Ooze knows who Dulcia is, and, like, apparently she's the only person on this planet. Like, it's, like, it's so, like... And she can't go into the jungle or she'll age. I don't know. She, Which was funny to me because it's like, I could she's help. She's scantily clad. <laughs> she's like, I could help you, but I got to stay young and hot. So you guys are on your own. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah. look, so that's one of those things as far as how scantily clad she is. You know, Again, as a kid, I'm not registering this. But as an adult, I'm watching it. And it's like, okay, so this was for the dads who were taking their kids to, go, yeah. to, to yeah. see the movie? Because that was yeah. very, uh very risque outfit for a kid's movie. It, it was, man. It was very scantily clad. Like, I feel like they would never have a costume like that now if they did this movie, you know? Like, it's like, right? No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's the thing. And I, look, I, I mean, I, I don't mind, but at the same time, I did have that same thought where I'm like, was this appropriate for, like, for a kid's movie? They, they definitely, I mean, but I think it was that time, like Mortal Kombat, because like, thinking about, I feel like there was a big influence from Mortal Kombat on this movie, like the ninjas and everything. And like, the girl ninjas in Mortal Kombat kind of dressed like uh, Dulcia. So I feel like that was probably where the inspiration came from for this. Would be my guess. I, who knows? Is there again, just this idea of the quest and this Wizard of Oz like journey that they go on? Is there, I don't. Is there anything in particular that you wish you had seen? Some other test that they would have needed to pass? Like anything that comes to mind? And I'm putting you on the spot. No worries if not. Yeah, I mean, maybe like a Zord thing would have been cool. Like mastering their Zords or something. Like, have they have to fight their own Zords or something? That might have been cool. That felt very instead of just random. Like that felt very tacked on. Where we're just like, oh, and we have new Zords, by the way. It's like, okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That's the thing that I thought was also odd was that when they get their powers awakened, I'm surprised they didn't get different costumes. I was actually surprised about that because like that would have been an opportunity to sell more toys. But then again, they they kind of cheaped out on the toys anyway and just repainted the old ones, so it wasn't like. You know, that's a good, you know, and I guess I wonder, cause I say to myself, they didn't, again, they didn't have to worry that, oh, if we change the design of the costumes, then it's not going to line up with the show, right? This was going to be its own thing anyway, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, this could have been the thing where these costumes were so difficult or expensive to make. They had to make the, the quote unquote regular costumes for the pre ninja stuff. And then, yeah. you know, yes, it's like they could have redesigned them for after they get their new power source, but maybe it was just like, look, we made these costumes. Like, that's it. That's probably it. Because I just feel like it's so weird where it's like, you're the Falcon, Tommy, but like all your stuff says you're still a tiger, you know? Like, it's just so weird. Like, or like, Billy, like, you got the wolf, which is like a sweet, that's probably his coolest Zord he's ever had, but he's got like still the Triceratops, like uh, everything's Triceratops. So it's like very, very strange that they did that, did it that way. I know. I guess I would have liked if there were something, again, character-based, some sort of personal obstacle that they had to overcome. But again, it's like, I, that was not what this was built for, and I understand that. And it, it No, yeah, it definitely wasn't, yeah. And like, as a kid, dude, I didn't question the new Zords versus their old costumes at all. Like, it wasn't like anything I thought of at all. Like, I was not like, oh, the White Ranger has got a falcon now. Like, it, it did, I didn't care that his suit looked like a tiger, you know? Like... Uh, going back to this whole idea of just what this movie was, sort of... Uh, an extension of the show, but its own thing, right? That exists in its own little pocket. I, I was, as a fellow Superman and Smallville fan, you know, I was thinking this would have been like, during the run of Smallville, we had Superman Returns, right? Which was its own thing. But it would have been as if in between seasons five and six of Smallville, 
Superman Returns had featured Tom Welling and the Smallville cast. Like, and you saw him become Superman and all this stuff. And then season six starts and he's like still hanging out on the farm. Yeah. Like, like that's yeah. what it would have been like. So it's, this was just, that's again, true. I just yeah. keep coming back to this idea of how, and again, I don't say weird in a bad way. It's just so interesting to me that this was the path but that they chose. The thing about Power Rangers though, and again, I think why I think it was so successful is that there really wasn't continuity in the show. I mean, th- there was, but it was so loose. Like it was like, you didn't have to watch, like you could jump in with episode like 12 and like not have watched anything before it and be totally caught up. And like, I feel like that's why the movie worked as well as it did because it wasn't like, it didn't contradict to the TV show. Do you get what I'm saying? It's like, you could like, what I think I did as a kid was just kind of like, oh, this was an adventure they went on. And then they went back to having their old Zords and they got new ninja stuff. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like, like it wasn't like a, a through line, you know, like, I don't know if I'm explaining that properly. No, I get, I get it. No, you are right. I think where there's continuity is obviously when, when, you know, we have changing of Rangers or changing of Zords, but even then it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not, it was not a heavily serialized show, except in instances where we had a multi-part, you know, multi-episode yeah. story. But yes, generally speaking you had your typical formula those those felt like events though when they did that like the green ranger event like that felt like like a thing that like every at least in my school that all the kids were like gotta get home to watch power rangers see what happens and like talk about like the next day at school you know because it aired like every day that's the other thing is that it wasn't once a week it was literally every day at at 3 30 for me like crazy and well speaking of the show so the production dragged so long in Australia that they they had the the actors also work on episodes of the TV show, um, and we talked about this in in a couple of prior oh, yeah. episodes. Yeah, the um, the wedding three parter where Rita and Zed get married, and the return of the Green Ranger where we have the the duplicate of Tommy who becomes the evil Green Ranger and fights the White Ranger. Those six episodes were all made while they were in Australia, um, and we talked about this. It's a it's it is kind of glaring because you're watching it and clearly they only had the actual actors for a limited time. So in those, both of those three parters, like they're morphed for so long, like you, for so much longer than you typically would see them. But the thing that I wonder is like, wonder what that was like for them, for the actors, right? To be on, to be in Australia, the other side of the world, working on this big budget motion picture, right? Doing scenes where they're spending an entire day on one page and then mm-hmm. like being, okay, now you're going to do some episodes of the show. And like, they're back in that mode. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I wonder what that was like. Dude, it had to be whiplash like crazy. And like it, for them, like as an adult now, like in the mindset, like as a kid, I thought there'd be nothing cooler than being a power ranger. Right. But now as an adult, it's like, they probably had no idea what they were getting into. They definitely probably did not think the rest of their lives were going to be defined by this show, this like kid show that they were making, you know, like, and like, it was probably one of those things that went by so quick too, that like, it's probably weird for like Jason David Frank that like, it was this thing that I did for like two years in my twenties that like, that's what everyone knows me for, you know? I know. I think that, you know, that's always one of those tough things, but I mean, whatever it is, right. Whether it's the actors on power Rangers or, uh, you know, a band that had, that they're a one hit wonder or something like that. And I don't know on the one hand, yes, I'm sure it's tough to be sort of primarily known for just one thing when you want to do other things. But then on, at the same time, there are plenty of people who 
strive. Yeah, who like yeah. strive for that, and like they're not known for any anything. So it's like, hey, yeah. even if there's one thing that people know you from, it's like, hey, that's more than a lot of people. Yeah, no, get. no. When I was saying that, I didn't mean it as like a bad thing, as being like they'd be mad about. It. I meant it more like as like an odd, like an odd, like not not that that like. Not that you'd resent it, right? Not I like I, at least I hope they didn't resent it, but like more in just the the oddness of it of being like, like think about like like when you were say twenty two to twenty four, like the rest of your life being defined by like the job you did when you were twenty two to twenty four. Like not not saying that's like a, like bad, but like just like weird, you know? Like it's like, huh? You know? No, I know I I totally get what you're saying. Be sure. very strange. I, absolutely. I also have to give this movie credit for, and I had, man, I had forgotten this. So I, I watched this, my, my wife took our son to, to her mom's for a long weekend and they were on their way back. And I was like, okay, I think I have just enough time to watch this before they get home. And, uh, I like just made it, but I was like a little rushed. And, uh, as the Rangers are at the fireworks display and Van Halen's playing, like we said, and the credits start to roll, I was like, okay, like I'm going to turn this off. And I'm glad I waited a few seconds because we got that mid credit scene where uh, where uh, uh, Zed and Rita show back up at the moon base palace. So it's like good on this movie. Like this was a very early instance of a mid credit scene. It's like yeah. now, man, we're conditioned for that now with all these Marvel movies. But that was I don't know. That was pretty cool that they did that. That was cool. Yeah, I, I totally forgot about that. And it was like a fun little gag to have the end too. No, it was good. It was very good. I <laughs> I will say at the end when they're at that like restaurant when the when the fireworks are playing, did you notice they were eating this like insane spread of crab's legs? It was like <laughs> did, did you notice that? It was like it's buckets of crab's legs everywhere. And I'm like, interesting, interesting choice. <laughs> well, that was Ernie's. That was Ernie's. He was uh he had more scenes, I think, that was got it? that got cut. Yeah, but uh but that there was a sign. I did notice the sign that said Ernie's, but yeah. That was the juice bar? Yeah. That was the same juice bar that has like the workout equipment and the karate matches and like the science fairs. <laughs> it was it was at least Ernie's. I don't know if in the movie, and I'd have to double check audience, I'm sure you know. I, it might have said like Ernie's, like maybe it was Ernie's Crab Shack or Ernie's Cease, but it was Ernie's. So I don't know if it was, okay. li- I don't know if it was literally meant to be like, hey, if you go inside, you're going to see gym mats and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but it was Ernie's, but yeah, no, that was cool. And, you know, with the, with the kid, you know, he has this whole conversation with them where it's like, they, you know, he's they're like, oh, maybe you could be the next Power Ranger. Like anything is possible. And when we get to Turbo and I had that stopped. so stupid. I had stopped watching at that point, but you did have that kid in Turbo. And I, I think fans sort of always were kind of like, hey, why? Is the same kid? No, 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 it's not. But it's like, why not bring him back? I mean, for, I'm sure there were reasons uh, why, but it's like you set something up here and then is, you never see Fred again. <laughs> is it the same character? No, different character. Because of the same character? No. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, dude, that was so stupid at the end when they're like. <laughs> Oh, here you're like, why would he be another Power Ranger? Why? What what did he do that were like is Power Ranger worthy? I was like so like incensed by that. I was like, this is the stupid pandering right here. Like I, Well, no, listen, I'll speak up for Fred because he he rallied all the other kids and they drove the monorail and they they, you know, he was spraying the hose against the adults while they were walking to their deaths under the thrall of ooze. Nah, he I I'll give him that. I'll give him that. He displayed some. We get very little, um, you know, and then very little bulk and skull in this. You know, we see them skydiving and then they pop up, you know, later on, uh, you know, when they when they work with the kids. But I'm not I don't mind it per se, but I thought it was was kind of surprised. Relatively minimal bulk and skull. 
Yeah, I mean, the Balkan Skull, I never really liked the Balkan Skull stuff. It's like very like it's very like their music. They're their music and stuff. I'm just like, Meh. and like they seem to be way bigger friends with the Power Rangers in this. Like they're skydiving with them. Like I'm like, why? Like. Yeah, it's very, very odd because I always thought they were like bullies that the Power Rangers didn't like, but. That there, there's definitely that shift. I think yeah. the first season of the show, they are they are far more those bullies, and then as they get into the second and third season and beyond, they're more like more like lovable goofs. I think the Rangers find them more of a you know an amusing nuisance rather than antagonists. So I think they're so I don't think that was totally okay. out of out of line. But uh, uh, yeah. Jason Jason Narvi, who played Skull, talked about how they had so much downtime on that movie the two of them, uh, Balkan skull. Yeah. And he was like, I bought a car and like, we were just traveling around Australia. We were going to the bars. Like we were showing up on set when the Rangers were working and we were teasing them and they thought it was amusing at first. But then as the shoot dragged on, they were like, <laughs> getting annoyed. Uh, so I think those two guys had a lot of fun uh, making that movie. <laughs> did, they, did they get along with the Rangers in real life? That were they, it seems that way. They're all friendly. It seems that yeah, way. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, yeah, they had very little to do in this movie, so they probably it was probably like a vacation, like a paid vacation for them to just hang out and like, you know. I know. Is there anything? I wonder else? what those guys are doing now. Yeah, I did look them up. They're, yeah, I don't know offhand. I they they've been doing some stuff. I'm not I'm not positive, but they you know uh, they did re- they have returned to the franchise periodically. And Paul Schreier played Bulk. He did a whole season of the show or two. Like he came oh, wow. back like years and years later. So. Yeah. No, I mean, they were, they were good actors. Like, they, I mean, they're the, the shtick of the characters was something that I was as a kid. Like I didn't really like, com- I didn't want comedy in my superheroes. Like I wanted to just be, this is earnest and serious. Like I don't want any funny stuff. Like, but like they were, they were very good at what they did, you know? So I hear you. Is there anything else we didn't talk about with respect to this movie that you wanted to? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do want to, I, well, I want to ask this age of reboots, right? How cool would it be to get a new Power Rangers like Netflix reboot with all the same actors? I mean, it'd be very sad now because of RIP Jason David Frank. He's no longer with us, which, you know, thoughts and prayers go out to his family. Um, but yeah, with the ones who are remaining, like it'd be cool to like, you know, see, you know, like Johnny Young Bosch and David Yost and well, they're doing the once, Joe Johnson. They're doing the once and always Zach. special on uh, Netflix. There's going to be a, so David Yost produced this. It's a scripted, reunion special on netflix where they're back the original so uh walter jones zach yeah uh, david yost billy uh and johnny young bosch steve cardenas Catherine sutherland uh i think karen ashley like mo- basically that original uh like the first two iterations of mighty morphin like they're jason no austin saint no austin saint john and no amy joe johnson uh, I think it came down to to money, I think. But uh, but yeah, I mean, a lot of them are coming back. It's called Once and Always. It'll be on Netflix in April. We'll be doing an episode about it right after on the podcast. Cool. But yeah, so you got your wish. I mean, I the idea of these guys for the 30-year anniversary, It's I, I'm very excited for it. Is it going to be like a show or yeah. is it them like talking about it? No, no. It's a scripted, it's a special. It's like, it's just one episode. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, but like, it's like them. It's, but it's like them as the characters. It's not yes. like the Harry Potter reunion. No, no, no. Like, okay. It's oh, them as the characters. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. That's yeah. cool. That's, that's very cool. That is very cool. So, okay. I'll be excited to see that. Yeah. No, for sure. I, you know, I do wonder, and I, I guess as much as this was such a big thing for us, 
I suspect maybe the, the movie didn't do well enough to, to warrant a sequel. Cause I was, I mean, I, I mean, in fairness, it's like, yes, there was the turbo movie, but that was, again, that was a different animal. Uh, how, know. how many years? Cause in my head, I remember seeing the, the posters for that when I was a kid in the theaters and it felt like, it felt like when I was a kid being like power Rangers still, they're making Chris craft. Like, but it had to have been a very short amount of time. It had to have only been like two or three years. Like, I think you know it, the, the time gap. I think it was just a couple of years because after the Mighty Morphin movie, we had the final season of Mighty Morphin on TV. Then we had the Zeo season, and then there was the Turbo movie before the Turbo season. So it was just a couple of years. Oh yeah, it, see, it's so weird how time, like you know, when you're a kid, the difference between first grade to third grade is like a a world of difference in perception, right? Because at that point, I remember seeing them being the thing like they're still making Power Rangers. What? Like, yeah. I know, but I guess like a, a true sequel to this movie, not what the turbo movie was, you know, it would have been interesting to see, but I, I'm just glad we have this. I, again, I, I don't know. I think even without this movie, the show still is something that we would be thinking and talking about because of the, the role that it played in our childhood. But the movie was huge and the movie took it to another level. And I very much value its its place in the franchise and its history. And like I said, it was really, really fun to go back and revisit and very fun to talk about with you. So I, I thank you very much for for coming along, for teleporting in uh, and coming along for this. Hell yeah, man. Thanks for having me, man. This was so much fun. And um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a great uh, little trip down memory lane, checking it out and thinking about the toys and everything. So Absolutely. So where do you want to direct people to follow you and or check out your Death Shroud comic book project? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you can uh, you can follow me at VKenMarion on Instagram and at VKMarion on Twitter. And check out De- uh, Death Shroud Giant Size issue number one on Indiegogo. It's in demand right now, so you can pick up your copy for the first issue. Issue number two is going to be launching the campaign for that's going to be launching on April 3rd. So yeah, we're rocking and rolling with it. Um, so catch up on this. Um, the series now it's an action-packed uh very very 90s-esque uh throwback kind of like vibe with a very you know uh gritty anti-hero kind of comic so if you grew up like in power rangers and like this was like when you were a childhood like in this era you'll very much respond to like this type of comic book because it's very much in the vein of like early image stuff so like spawn and like you know darkness and stuff like that so um yeah it's a yeah go check check that out and um i'm the artist on it and we've been working super hard so yeah, I hope everyone can check it out and see if they like it. Very cool. Well, I hope everyone will. Ken, thank you again. It's always a blast talking with you. Audience, thank you for joining us. Make sure you come back in two weeks. Like I said, we'll be talking about Ninja Quest. And as always, remember, once a Ranger fan, always a Ranger fan. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in the Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.